This is Drew Locke, and you're listening to Roster Watch. Ladies and gentlemen, Roster Watch Nation, welcome back to the Epic Roster Watch Podcast brought to you by rosterwatch.com. My name is Alex Dunlap here with Byron Lambert as we are breaking down what happened over the course of this weekend or this long weekend, Thursday through Saturday, with the NFL draft, the fantasy fallout, the Dynasty Rookie Cheat Sheet, which will be up at rosterwatch.com at some point today, version 1.0. We have the skeleton ready to go, but there's a ton of things I'll need to talk to Byron about. As far as how the slotting works there with that, uh, quick reminder, if you're watching this on YouTube, if you could subscribe on YouTube, give it a thumbs up. And most importantly, if you could just comment underneath this video, that really helps a lot with our uh, robot genius overlords. We've been told we'll make sure and comment back to you, but helps with the algorithm. So if for nothing else, just say, hey, I'm doing it for the algorithm or I'm doing it because Byron's shirt's wacky or whatever it doesn't matter what the comment says just comment something and we'd appreciate it if you're listening on apple Podcasts, if you could rate and review there give us a five-star rating would be greatly appreciated all right byron with that said let's just get into it uh i'm sure that the talk about the structure of the dynasty rookie cheat sheet will come up as we go over some of these talking points but what is it that you got that uh you want to hit just kind of right off here as we come out of the nfl draft well, I mean, first things first, when I did have a chance to open the beta version of uh, V1.0 of the Dynasty Rookie Draft Cheat Sheet, Alex, that we'll <laughs> be publishing here on the site uh, here shortly, I, I was actually very surprised at how closely, uh, essentially how closely we have all the guys ranked right out of the gate uh, for version 1.0. So that was, that was interesting to me because a lot of times we can be a little bit all over the place, but I guess we've been doing this for too long together. We share a lot of similar (laughs) thoughts. So I wouldn't even say, you know, maybe I've got some nitpicks. I'd call them more observations that we'll definitely get into uh, over the course of the pod. But yeah, first, uh, you know, just a few interesting narratives and talking points that I thought came out of the draft, you know, mostly as it relates to fantasy. I think some of these are kind of obvious i think a few of these are maybe narratives that you just haven't heard so much discussion about we like to get into stuff that's a little bit different here at roster watch give you guys uh, a unique perspective at things and so obviously alex i think a common sentiment coming out of the draft is that rb1 in terms of fantasy and you know uh, rookie running backs dynasty it looks like it's a two-horse race between clyde edwards Elaire and jonathan taylor um, in terms of the wide receiver group, feel very comfortable saying that CD Lamb has kind of solidified as wide receiver one of the rookie crop, especially, you know, I think in redraft and maybe in terms of a, a dynasty, especially that's kind of where our head's at right now. But, you know, that said, I think there's a whole Jalen Rager hive out there that's making a, a ton of noise right now. And, uh, you know, that's, that's rightfully so. Uh, there's a lot of reason for that that hype. 
Um, the Denver Broncos and the Oakland Raiders going absolutely ham at the wide receiver position in this draft early and often, uh, you know, taking three wide receivers each. We're talking about Henry Ruggs and Brian Edwards and Lynn Bowden in Oakland and then with Denver. Uh, or let's say they went Jerry Judy and uh, KJ Hamler there in Denver. Alex, sorry, they had. They, they also went Albert O, though, so it's kind of, you know, they added the three receiving options another pass catcher their receiving option so they really did a lot for drew lock so those two things stood out to me i thought that they got good players and uh interesting you know they know they're competing with patrick mahomes in that in that division much like i think the cowboys know that ultimately they're going to be no matter what they're going to have to score points this year and you know same reason for lamb there Uh, ironically our guy denzel mims you know fell precipitously in the draft alex i mean as precipitously as oh, i'm not sure still, to be a second he's still a second round pick but considering was it, the sec- guy- it was the end of the second it was the end of the second it is he, he slipped in the second for some reason I, he, I was sitting here thinking he was an early third it was it, it was second though wasn't it i think it was just, just went behind a whole slew of guys that I guess was unexpected for a lot of uh, observers and, you know, maybe went against a lot of the kind of the, the, you know, the, the industry rankings in terms of the media and uh, the draft types out there. Anyways, it'd been an outstanding process, but I I just thought it was ironic that Denzel Mims had this quote unquote, you know, uh, fall and in the draft kind of plummeting below some of those guys. But in the end, Alex, I mean, I think you can make the case. He landed in one of the absolute best, landing spots and kind of catapults him right back up the board post draft. Yeah. Okay. So those were your talking points. I get, all right. So let's well, just start it more here. A couple more. Okay. Quick, fine. Alex. Let's hear Adam him. Troutman to the new Orleans saints. That was a big development. You know, obviously the future of the quarterback situation will have a lot to do with that, how that works out in dynasty. But Adam Troutman, a guy we fell in love with at the senior bowl, we've telling you guys for months, he could be the next Dallas Goddard. I don't think it gets a whole yeah. lot better than him landing there in New Orleans. I thought that was that was an interesting uh, day two uh, development that I'm not sure got as much news as it should have. And then <laughs> Alex, I think kind of from you know a, an or, unorthodox perspective here, we you know we're talking fantasy, so we end up talking focusing so much on the skill players, but we put so much work into these offensive linemen, and you know over the years we've learned that. Very simply put, we prefer if we have our choice that our fantasy players play on teams with, you know, at least above average offensive lines. It's just for a whole for a whole slew of reasons. So, you know, there's a lot of teams who did well for themselves at, at, at the offensive line, especially some of the teams that went early, like the Giants, the Browns, the Jets, the Buccaneers and the Titans. All of those teams drafted round one offensive tackles. We saw the Dolphins go with two offensive tackles, uh, one in round one, one in round two. We saw the Saints on the heels of taking Eric McCoy last year out of AM, a senior bowler we really liked that kind of had that center guard versatility. The Saints went back in on Cesar Ruiz out of Michigan with that same type of uh, versatility uh, this year. So they continue to fortify. Uh, the interior line there in New Orleans and then, you know, Minnesota, uh, they got, uh, they went offensive tackle. I think it was round two this year. And we just got to remember that that was after they added Garrett Bradbury. And, you know, we'll see the jury's probably still out on Drew Samia out of OU, but they added those two guys last year that we liked. So the whole, whole slew of teams there. I mean, you got to think of 
the, there's a lot of fantasy players involved in the Giants and the Browns and the Jets and the Bucks and the Titans and the Saints and the Vikings. Like these are all teams that was very good news that they, they addressed and folk continue to focus on improving their offensive lines. Um, and, and then Alex, I guess uh, to kind of complete that point, you know, we do so much work at the Senior Bowl. I really thought teams like the Baltimore Ravens, who took Tyree Phillips, Denver Broncos, who took Lloyd Cushenberry, the Seahawks, who took Damian Lewis. I know you made a tweet on uh, about, uh, I think it was Houston taking Josh Jones, uh, Las Vegas taking John Simpson out of Clemson. Did, 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 did Houston take, I thought the Cardinals took Josh Houston Jones. Or, Houston or Arizona. I'm, I'm Josh Jones Florida. out of, he's, he's, he's from the U of H, but, but. Um, I think that's what Arizona out of you at H and got drafted by Arizona. Yeah. That's what I've got here. Houston is where he's from. Arizona is what he, where he, where he was drafted in Jacksonville with another senior bowler, Ben Barch. So that all of those teams addressed offensive line in the middle rounds with quality senior bowlers. I thought those were teams that improved their offensive line at value. I mean, we saw Denver went in on Dalton Reisner from the senior bowl last year. All of a sudden they're, They've still got, I think it's Garrett Bowles. They're building an interesting offensive line there as they've surrounded Drew Locke with just a bevy of weapons. You know, they like seeing the Ravens, love seeing the Seahawks and the Cardinals, the Raiders going back in uh, on offensive line. And then I guess kind of last but not least, before we get to fantasy, Alex, also stuck out to me that the 49ers, the Ravens, and the Buccaneers had monster drafts and just in, in, in somewhat different ways. But you know, team, good teams that have added a lot of good players that really, really, I thought went bananas, uh, over the weekend. And, you know, I think you could also put Jacksonville who's kind of rebuilding the roster on the fly, but they had a pretty damn good draft too, Alex. Uh, they got, they kind of filled, uh, needs with high end players uh, across the roster. I thought it was interesting though. They were unable to trade Leonard Fournette. Uh, we, you know, heard that the dolphins were, in talks uh, to see if they could make a deal before they ultimately went with Matt Breida. So, you know, obviously the Jaguars wanted too much in return for a guy with basically one year left on his contract, even though it's at a cheap price, you know, right in the midst of such a deep running back class. So I think it's really interested to see how Jacksonville is going to walk this thing back with Leonard Fournette. I mean, in so many ways, I think it's in both of their interests for him to just get run into the ground and have a big year this next year, if he stays with the team, you know, that said there could be a mid season trade with Fournette. And while I don't think that's so difficult with a running back, sometimes that's something to keep in mind can set a player back in fantasy over the course of the season a little bit. And then I, I, I think there's an outside chance that if Jacksonville is just soured on him and keeps him, but they want to start developing some of their other guys that maybe it devolves a little bit to RBBC, but I, I just think when I work out game out, most situations in my head, if, if Fournette's going to be in Jacksonville for another year, I think it makes perfect sense for him to want to have a big year and perfect sense for them to want to go ahead and, you know, grind him into the ground with as many touches as possible uh, before they move on. And then uh, Alex, before we get to the uh, Dynasty rookie draft cheat sheet, some of my observations there. I thought you just pulled off a really interesting trade in our Sirius XM mm-hmm. Experts Dynasty League. And 
I mean, I think that will provide some interesting talking points. Maybe you could go over that for a second. Yeah, I, I felt like the cat that ate the canary, man. I didn't think he was going to take it. I, I, basically, we were picking at 1.08 in a deep 14-team league IDP um, IDP league. And it's uh, it's run by our program director at Sirius, Matt Deutsch, and a ton of different producers across Sirius XM from the different channels like NFL Radio and – Guys like Nick Costos, who now is – what the hell is Costos with now? It's like CBS Sports or something, but he used to be a producer on NFL Radio. Much of these guys, man, the, these producers that book us for their you know spots on their shows and shit. And the, like uh, J- Jamie Oppenheim, he's with M- used to be with NBA Radio, and uh, he's the commissioner of the league. Or is, is he the commissioner or is Deutsch the commissioner? Deutsch kind of came up with the rules. Jamie is the commissioner. I think that I think that Deutsch is some kind of trade off. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, I just I, I, I just think Deutsch is some kind of shadow commission, though, possibly. <laughs> but regardless, um, yeah, it's with Oppenheim, we were at 1.08 and it came down to, you know, Cam, Cam Akers had fallen and we're I'm not even going to say who, who we're interested in, in taking. But we we think that one of the players who were interested in take because those those guys could be watching right now. But um, the, a couple of players were interested in taking. We think that we could get a two point zero one. So I moved down to, from one point zero eight to two point zero one, and had him throw in Drew Locke, and uh, also bumped us up from four point zero four to three point zero four. So one oh eight. I thought we were one oh six. So that's an even better deal. One oh eight. 108. It would have been Cam Akers or it would have been Joe Burrow there at that spot in this particular league where the, it's a it's a six point quarterback touchdown league and and they get eaten up real really 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 quickly with these particular drafters. So you have to take quarterbacks a little earlier than usual. And uh, yeah, just thought it was a good trade. I, I, f- I figured if we were thinking about taking Joe Burrow there, we can throw a, throw a dart on Drew Locke. I mean, with everything that's been, at, I mean, you got. He doesn't have many excuses at this point. Melvin oh, dude, Gordon I is love, there now. I like love Drew Lockfish. I mean, Melvin Gordon, Jerry Judy, KJ Hamler, Cortland Sutton, Noah Fan, Albert O, improved offensive line, his second year in the league, uh, a, a division with bad defenses in the AFC West. I mean, what can you? Re- it's like he you know, doesn't have, have any excuses. I'm have massive exposure to Drew Locke this year in fantasy. He's a guy yeah. that we're going to be hey, well. He's a very g- dialed in on. Well, but he's a guy who. Right. And, but here's the thing. It's not like it, 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 it's massive exposure to drew lock and redraft. It comes with zero opportunity cost. You just take him with a 14th round pick. And it's like, you, you know, you take your quarterback who you're a little more comfortable with in the 10th or the 11th. You could take drew lock in round 14 before you take kicker and defense and just see, see what happens. It, 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 very good chance. He could, he could not be good. I mean, our evaluation on him was, that he was going to take time and that he definitely had some nice characteristics. We saw him through the whole week of the senior bowl last year. I was super worried when he came in this year and they expected him to contribute, but he was actually much better than I thought. He was better than I gave him credit for already as a rookie. I would think that with all of these weapons, you know, that's a guy who can, that's a guy who can do something this next year. So we'll see. We always said that he's a good developmental prospect. We'll be, he's had some time to develop now. So I did not mind getting Drew Locke on that team, especially considering we only had Jimmy Garoppolo as as our other quarterback. So I mean, we it, definitely needed some quarterback help. And then we got a two in return. Was it one two or two twos, Alex? No, it was so we gave 1.08. We got back 2.01. 
Drew Locke, and then we fl- flipped our fourth rounder for his third rounder. Oh, dude, that's a monster trade, especially Drew Locke's value, just, you know, astronomical rise here. Poster. I'll tell you, if you're, if you are of the persuasion of the late round quarterback strategy on an annual basis, like I could live with Drew Locke being the only quarterback that I drafted at the end of the draft. We can, well, be, I, and that's you, and, and and the reason why and the reason why you, you you say that that's okay is not because we're just putting all of our chips on fucking Drew Locke. That's that isn't the case. But what the case is, it's like you know Philip Rivers won't be drafted. Kirk Cousins wasn't drafted last year. Teddy Bridgewater and Sam Darnold and all these assholes won't be drafted, right? So if Drew Locke is nothing and it's a big nothing burger and you can't do anything with this, you drop him and you pick up another guy that you're totally comfortable with. Like that, that's the that's the beauty of the late round. Yeah, people need draft. to understand the reason we're interested in Drew Locke is obviously they've added the weapons. And to your point, Alex, he cleaned up a lot of the stuff we were concerned about. He apparently evidently cleaned up a lot of the stuff we were concerned about faster than we'd expected. He looked pretty comfortable and more in rhythm. Uh, with better mechanics there late in the season. But the, the reason why he has so much allure, you know, in addition to that is you can't forget, he had a lot of Josh Allen, a lot of Carson Wentz to his profile. This is a guy who's going to make some hay on the ground potentially as well. And that is, I mean, I think very, he could very well be the next Josh Allen in fantasy, a guy that sometimes leaves stuff to be desired in terms of like his real NFL quarterback play. But for fantasy, I mean, there's, there, there's there's quite a bit of upside there. So anyway, I think we spent enough time on that. But I, I thought that was a great trade you pulled off, man. To me, you're not losing much going down from 108 to 201. Well, we'll see. Be- we'll see. Well, there's a couple we'll guys we're really hoping for. Like, right? right. We'll still find somebody <laughs> that we like, of course. Maybe we yeah. can trade out of the pick. We, we're not we're not totally hamstrung at that point. I mean, we get Drew, we get Drew Locke, and then look, I think it's a big deal getting that bump. Uh, back up into I think you said the third round on that on that other early round. third as opposed to like four four point zero eight all 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 the way to three point zero four yeah I so think it's that's a big a, a big deal all right. all right let's 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 talk about the rookie cheat sheet here and like some of the some of the things that you touched on Byron you talked at the beginning it's a two horse race between Clyde Edwards Elaire and Jonathan Taylor I feel like for coming into next year there's going to be no doubt that I'll have Clyde Edwards Elaire ranked above Jonathan Taylor for redraft. With that being said, Jonathan Taylor, two of my favorite prospects of the last, you know, shit, the last 12 years we've been doing this, Jonathan Taylor and Quentin Nelson have now joined forces <laughs> and they, and, and they work and they work in a, um, what is it? A synchronistic manner together, right? Two of my favorite prospects that we've evaluated are, are now directly tied to one another over the course of the long period of time. Like I talked about on the podcast, uh, the day two podcast, Jonathan Taylor is going to render Marlon Mack completely useless. It's at, at some point he came in there. He said, this is my town. This is my city. This is my house. Marlon Mack can get the hell out of here. As our boy Sully from Houston said on Twitter, you're a special teamer now, I, but I don't think it's going to happen immediately. Right. It feels like there's going to take some time for Jonathan Taylor to completely take over that role. I think the Clyde Edwards, he is going to happen immediately. I know that everybody's talking about, the Damian Williams stuff and the fact that they're still going to, you know, some people still like Daryl Williams and some people say, I can't believe some people are still hoping, holding out hope for Darwin Thompson and some of these other guys. But when you take Clyde Edwards, you layer that early, you talk about how you're the GM who says that he thinks he's a Brian Westbrook and that the head coach thinks that it's a better Brian Westbrook. The head coach just happened to be the head coach for Brian Westbrook. 
I mean, you got guys like Lewis Riddick just going on NFL Network, just saying that the Kansas City Chiefs getting Clyde Edwards Elair is un, it, it's an unfair advantage. Um, it's it, I think it's hard for Dynasty because I think Jonathan Taylor in the long run might be able to be maybe the more valuable overall runner. You know, he, like like we've talked about before, that's a Todd Gurley, Ezekiel Elliott type of uh, profile. You know, he, he's, he lives there with the most high profile best backs in the whole National Football League as far as our, our evaluation on him. Whereas Clyde Edwards-Hilaire had a very specialized skill set that we were very intrigued by. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire just happened to fall to the one spot where that one very specialized skill set fits perfectly into what that offense does and happens to be the most efficient, most prolific, most fantasy friendly offense in the entire national football league. Um, and if we're talking about PPR setups, it's just, it's hard for redraft to get away from Clyde Edwards, Elaire for dynasty. It's a two horse race. As you said, do you, th- I mean, it's just really hard. If I'm choosing the top of a draft, I don't know which one I'm taking. Um, so can we just start the conversation there? Where what what do you think is most most prudent with Clyde Edwards Elaire and Jonathan Taylor? Because clearly they need to be one and two. Do you have a preference one way or the other? It's it's almost like I'm happy to have either pick. Yeah, so that gives somebody at 1.01 maybe a little flexibility if there's I don't know how many people are gonna trade 101 and 102, but I guess you have a little flexibility there at the top of drafts. You know, I see it pretty much the same way as you, Alex. I don't ever expect Edwards Elaire to get the volume that Taylor is eventually going to get, you know, but on the other hand, I'm just flat out buying into Patrick Mahomes. I'm buying into Andy Reed, the PPR, the receptions themselves and these PPR formats are going to basically offset or neutralize the difference in volume. I think that we'll see between the two players. And I love the marriage of Jonathan Taylor with that offensive line in Indianapolis. I just have concerns about the quarterback situation, you know, long-term there. And I, I, this year, I think, you know, you still look at 250 touches easy for Taylor this year, maybe 275. I think Marlon Mack will be a guy that comes in at like 150, 175 touches, something along those lines, potentially. I mean, they, obviously they plan on running the ball a lot, but um, I just think in the end, man, it's, it's difficult not to buy into Patrick Mahomes and in the Chiefs offense. And if it's me on the clock, I'm taking Edwards Elair at number one in Dynasty and in redraft. We got Kips, we got Kipsy in the in the chat um, saying if you're around 1.03 or 1.04 in a rookie draft, and if you're not hamstrung at running back, would you be looking to make the jump to two, or would you wait? Um, because once we get to th- – it, 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 it brings up what we do at three, and I think at three in Dynasty, that's where – I'd be interested to hear your thoughts, Byron. And, and um, of course, we're not going to give away the whole cheat sheet here. You can download it later on today at rosterwatch.com. And ensuing versions is you know we get more information and more intel as we really wrap our heads around this. But at that point, you know Cam Akers is in consideration now that he has the landing spot for the Los Angeles Rams. I don't care what people are saying about Daryl Henderson – on our Twitter, people are saying it's disrespectful for us to even put out polls uh, indicating that maybe Cam Akers could take the could take the touch lead over Daryl Henderson. And I've just I look at them like, what the fuck are you talking about? It's like, of course he's going to take the touch lead. It's just a matter of it's a matter of how much he's he's going to take. Cam, Cam Akers has, has swindled Daryl Henderson. He has swindled 
Uh, he's, 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 we swindled, uh, Malcolm Brown. He's certainly swindled John Kelly. Cam Akers is the, is the guy there now. That's their guy. They're going to, they're going to run with him. He's their Todd Gurley replacement, but JK Dobbins now is the better prospect. And he goes to the Baltimore Ravens where we've seen what a running quarterback like Lamar Jackson could do for not only for Mark Ingram, we just have we've we've seen what that zone read scheme and, and and the different threats that the quarterback can bring running the football do to open up lanes for these runners. Whenever J.K. Dobbins gets lanes opened up for him, he is unbelievably dynamic, one of the most explosive running backs in this entire class. I know we don't have the testing measurements on him. We've talked about it time and time and time again. His spark measurables from the opening back in 2016, the only guy that was even close to him was Jeffrey Okuda, who tested like who who is a is another you know, maniacal uh, athlete himself. What about Akers and Dobbins? And then also does CeeDee Lamb begin to creep into the conversation for you there at that point in time? Because that's the sheet. I'm just, I'm not saying to talk about the the sheet or the way the sheet's diagram, because we're just, we're, we're talking about the skeleton right now, but Akers and Dobbins, I'll just say I feel like CD comes into consideration at some point in there, but with Acres and Dobbins, how do you, do you do you see this? Because I think in redraft, I like Acres better than Dobbins. I'm not sure about Dynasty because in 2021, the Ravens can can and will surely get out of the deal with Mark Mark Ingram, right? And I think Dobbins long term in Dynasty. I just love him so much more as a prospect than I, than I love Cam Akers, but Cam Akers comes into more opportunity immediately. How much does that immediate opportunity weigh for you versus the event? You know, in, in Dynasty, we own these guys for life. How much does the immediate opportunity weigh in your mind against J.K. Dobbins' long-term opportunity in that, in, in that offense with Lamar Jackson? Well, I'm going to – I'm going to leave most of the sheet to the imagination here, but I've got s- several thoughts so just on all of those topics. So the poll that we ran on Twitter seemed like kind of settled in at a 70-30 split between Akers and Daryl Henderson is what the majority of or plurality of folks felt was appropriate. I thought that was a reasonable starting point. I, 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 I agree with your analysis on Akers. He couldn't have landed in – a better spot and he's the lead guy he's the girly replacement it's it's a perfect fit it's it's really the best place that he could have landed you know my other thought is and you that, don't worry about offensive line troubles with him is the most beautiful no just because, yeah and this well in the scheme they're going to run i think i mean i've always i get you know we can there's a lot we can do cam makers is a very good prospect i think this is the scheme he fits best in um he's gonna just get press the hole get to the hole use his speed get downhill that's how you want to use Cam Akers. So it's a beautiful fit. Uh, you know, for no apparent reason. I mean, we can probably speculate by deduction, but you know, through our interactions, the Rams appear to hate Daryl Henderson about as much as they hated John Kelly, another darling of the draft world and of the dynasty and fantasy world. Now, Henderson is somebody that they invested quite a significant more amount of draft capital in so you would think that maybe by default there's some differences there but the vibe you get every time you interact with the rams is the same vibe you get 
that they gave off about John Kelly, which ultimately wasn't good. And, <laughs> and, and look, I mean, to put a third round pick in and turn around and go with the second rounder this year, to me, uh, that says uh, quite a bit. Now, from the beta version that you've sent me of the Dynasty Rookie Draft, Chi-Chi will be publishing here shortly for our pro subscribers. I love where you've built in the cross-positional exit ramp around this juncture of the draft. So I don't want to mess with any of that. I want to leave that alone. And right. I understand exactly why you have who you have, where you have them. And you've actually laid out the case pretty well here as we talk about some of these guys at the top of the sheet. Now, okay. me personally, me personally, and we're talking dynasty, I, I'm, I'm giving very strong consideration to giving Dobbins a bump. I, I mean, I, I kind of think he, for dynasty, I kind of think me, so too. Me personally on the clock, I, I'm, I'm, I'm probably giving Dobbins a bump here. So do you think he just okay? Well, we we can talk off camera about whether he actually gets the bump on the on the sheet, but and if he does, whether the cross positional exit ramp stays the same or whether the structure changes. Um, and it, it, you guys who are pro members know just what we're talking about with this stuff. But the the cheat sheet's an intuitive visual sheet um, that, that gives you options at some junctures in the draft depending on on your needs and guarantees an expert quality draft. Every time. Okay. Um, what about I've had, so we can talk about all that later. Do you, is, is there anything you won't just want to get off your chest about Keyshawn Vaughn just in general? <laughs> yeah. I mean, sure. <laughs> I mean, you know how much I love Keyshawn Vaughn, obviously been one of the people on the very forefront of kind of leading the march. I think that, I think that you started it. I think, I think, I mean, it's a big, big hype train now, but you're the back, engineer. Back. Yeah, and everybody's now going back and acting like they've been had him as their number two guy since the very beginning. Funny thing is you never heard any of those folks crowing about it <laughs> pre-draft. That said, I think I'm going to come with maybe something you didn't expect here. Um, so I like where Vaughn is on the sheet. I think we were very much on the same page there. I, I think we should caution folks as much as I think Vaughn has a big, big opportunity here and landed in a spectacular spot. Keyshawn Vaughn averaged 18.9 touches a game last year at Vanderbilt. You know, before that, he was mainly a 15-touch-per-game guy. And I, I've been giving a lot of comparisons to on Johnson. Now, I was trying to be modest because the guy I really want to comp him to, now that the cat's out of the bag a little bit, is Keyshawn Vaughn has a chance to be Alvin Kamara-like. Remember how Alvin Kamara sheds and keeps his balance in the second level? It's in a sneaky way, and nobody thought he was that good out of it coming out of college. He was a third-round pick in a deep running back class. So there's something there. But that said, Alva, even Alvin Kamara, when they have their way, he's really a 15, 16, 18-touch per game guy. So does Vaughn have workhorse three-down capability? You know I believe that he potentially does. If I'm being realistic and this is coming and, – and, and to me, when it's coming from somebody who's like one of his biggest cheerleaders, one of his biggest truthers, to me, these are honest reservations that to have. And it's just I, – I, I think the reasonable expectation for Vaughn is that he's more – ultimately more of a 15 to 18 touch per game player if he really gets up and running the way we'd like. And you know, big picture, I think he's somewhere in the 10 to 20 touch per 
per game range, 10 to 18 touch per game range, depending on how his development goes and the trajectory of his early career. So in that office, in that division, that's fine. As we've seen, it's the same division. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just think, you know, to, in full disclosure, I, to, to me, that's a, that's a reasonable way to look at his profile moving forward. We have, there's a lot of hype there, Alex. And when, when there's a lot of hype comes a lot of, when there's a lot of hype is when people overpay for things. Oh yeah. And as much as I love Vaughn, we don't know. You don't, (laughs) you hate overpaying for things. Yeah. That's not, well, it's not what we want to do. Right. Um, Yeah. No. Yeah. I'd say that you hate it more than most though. Yeah, well, definitely <laughs> true, man. No reason for it. It's yeah, a waste of yeah. utility, man. Uh, you, yeah. You've got a finite amount of that. So, mm-hmm. you know, I just as I feel the excitement just, you know, there's pandemonium right now over Keyshawn Vaughn. And, of course, that, that thrills me, makes me very, very excited. But, you know, I feel like it also is that somebody who's done so much work on Vaughn and wants to be an unbiased purveyor to be on the front lines for roster watch nation, all our pro subscribers, we got to do the honest thing and the right thing. And the honest evaluation is I don't think we should chalk Vaughn up for some monster workhorse role, you know, right out of the gate. And then in terms of dynasty, you have to consider that in a couple of years from now, it's going to be an unsettled quarterback situation. Now we're going to have a chance to build a lot of value early with Vaughn and maybe you know, address that situation as we, that comes more to a head, which is obviously you want to get your value up early in your dynasty players. There's a big, you know, allure to that, but you know, all things we need to consider. So overall, I love where we have him, but if you wanted me to say my piece on Vaughn, uh, there it is. Okay. Well, I, I like it. Let's, let's talk about a little bit farther down the board here at the wide receiver position. Um, I'm I'm going back and forth a lot, and from what you see on that beta sheet that I sent you, I've actually flipped Jalen Rager and Justin Jefferson. Can you tell me how you see those guys? Um, and you know, my reasoning is, well, for 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 one, I've been you know I've been in dynasty leagues since the draft. I've been on the clock, and I've thought to myself, I want Justin Jefferson more. And the and the reason and the reason why is simply because well I like Justin Jefferson better as a prospect I believe if we have our rank let me just open up our staff rankings from our pre draft yeah as a staff we have we have a consensus one spot higher on Justin Jefferson and just we, if you look at what Minnesota has done both these guys have first round draft capital Justin Jefferson comes in more ready um, I like Jalen Rager. I, I've heard, you know, we've heard a little bit from some people behind the scenes that maybe even Philly thinks that he could take a little while to get up to speed there. Not that that matters that much for Dynasty, but Philly also did take a, I mean, didn't didn't they take, they took John Hightower, who, you know, that's a guy. Five, maybe. Yeah, that's a guy who can, you know, but that's another one of these guys who, I'm, I'm, I don't have his exact 40 pulled up, but he does. Let's just see. I'll pull up right now. Yeah. I mean, if you just look at the film, you could tell Hightower's, Hightower's super fast. And then, um, and then uh, they also. John Hightower ran a 443, 6189 pounds, nine and six eight inch hands, 34 and a half inch arms, a 443 out of Boise State, a senior. So, yeah, John Hightower has a nice, pretty nice profile. Right? Yeah. And then they all, I forget who else they took, but it was. Um, 
let's see. So I put him on. Was it was it was it Quez? Was it Quez Watkins? It was somebody? It was somebody else. Yeah, Quez Watkins. So they they definitely addressed it a good bit. Whereas Minnesota, I mean, they took Justin Jefferson. And it's Justin Jefferson, it's Adam Thielen, Tajay Sharp, and they're moving on. Justin Jefferson is good. How do you how do you make nuts and bolts with Justin Jefferson and Jalen Rager for Dynasty if you're picking in, in that kind of area? Well, this, this this is interesting to me because we spoke Saturday morning, and this was a little bit of the conversation I was putting out there. And at that time, you had like a white hot take on Rager, just as the rest of the industry did. So you always have a close pulse on this. I'm curious. It sounds like you're cooling on Rager a little bit. Is the rest of the industry cooling on Rager after they were just, you know, I don't all think lathered so. up for him? I don't Saturday think so. Morning, Friday. I think it was Saturday uh, morning Friday, and Friday night. It was Thursday night. Thursday night. Friday, Friday, Friday morning. morning. It feels like maybe that. Yeah, you know, maybe part of me saying, well, what about you know, part of me saying like, hey, let's 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 consider where we put Rager here, and maybe he needs to be higher than we think probably had to do something with just hearing everybody else say it and stuff. But I mean, I spent a lot, dude, I spent all yesterday morning, um, out on my, out on my kayak, like fishing. I didn't get a single bite, even though the, the conditions were absolutely perfect. And the whole time I was just, I was just, I was just sitting there thinking to myself, just a time to get my, clear my mind and just think about these guys. And it just came to me. Then I said, what well, Justin Jefferson's awesome. And it's it, it's not you know once you once you write everything out and you list everything out and and you you look at the pros and the cons. I mean, do we do we really think that a quarterback situation with Carson Wentz is that much better than a quarterback situation with Kirk Cousins? And just you know, like the lack of competition for targets as as, as well. The fact that he's a better prospect. I mean, what is it just that we think that Jalen Rager is just that that dynamic? Justin Jefferson ran a faster 40. Minnesota drafted another wide receiver as well. I think we'll get to him in a little bit. Um, I mean, Justin Jefferson, I believe, is going to get big volume right out of the gate. So I really don't have a problem with that slotting, especially since you sounds like you've spent a lot of time talking about that. In my initial tiers, I have Rager at the end of at the bottom of tier two. And I have Jefferson basically at the top of tier three. So, uh, but I'm, I, I don't have a problem. I don't have, I don't, if, if, if you've got a strong preference for Jefferson at this point, I don't really have a problem uh, with that. But I think um, closely ranked. I, coming into this conversation, I would have had, I would have had Rager slightly above Jefferson. But. There's, there's all, there's also, and, and, and Eagles fan brings up a good point in, in the chat that I didn't even mention, but it also went into my thinking when I was out on the boat, like um, the uh, Marquise Goodwin stuff. I know it's only for probably a year, but it still may shows that they're going to try and do a bunch of things to try and stretch the field. And I, I did just feels to me like Jalen Rager's going to be part of that. Great for the actual scheme, much like you talked about with Henry Ruggs. Uh, I'm just, I'm not sure he's going to be a fantasy superstar in year one. Whereas, you know, what Trashman was saying is that Justin Jefferson is going to be a guy that's going to be involved, especially in PPR. He's going to at least 
it, it feels like he has a much safer floor with a relatively similar upside. So that's where I am right now with Justin Jefferson. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure we're going to, are we going to talk about another Minnesota wide, 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 wide receiver? Pretty good. Uh, it, if, but I don't know if oh, no, we do. No, 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 we're, no, we're okay. not. No, we're not. Okay. I'm thinking about uh, another re- receiver from the University of Minnesota. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, <laughs> but bef- but bef- before we do, there's just a couple more key points I want to talk about. One would be in this uh, in this tier of running backs after we get through the top tier and we get through another certain tier where you're going to basically have to go wide receiver or quarterback. There comes a tier of running backs that comes into focus, and. Uh, Whenever it does, I, I'm just as much as we love Antonio Gibson. How much do you like the landing spot in Washington? Um, is it something to where we need to consider maybe an AJ Dillon from uh, after Green Bay takes him in the second round and continues to show that they absolutely hate Aaron Jones? Uh, is AJ Dillon somebody to be considered there? Is Josh Kelly? Somebody to be considered there? Josh Kelly already comes in and, and pees right in Justin Jackson's Cheerios, right? And takes his job, don't you think? It's not quite a Jonathan Taylor coming to pee on the rug situation, but I think Josh Kelly comes. He's 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 too nice to pee on Justin Jackson's rug, but figuratively, he's 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 going to do it, right? Yeah, I mean, I think Josh Kelly got lucky and landed in a damn good spot. You know, relative to where you started to get concerned about his value based on where he was sliding to in the draft and the historical indicator that is of you know fantasy performance and the opportunities these guys will receive but fortunately i, I do think josh kelly kind of like you know was, there's a handful of these guys that maybe slid a little bit but ended up in such good spots it gave them a, a bump there um in terms of gibson i i get i, I get the concern on the landing spot i my feeling is he's just too high upside of a wild card. I like where you have him currently. I'm I that's about where I had him. I thought it was a comfortable place. I see where your head's at. Yeah, on the flip side, I I was gonna I, again not make a strong argument, but I thought there was a case that AJ Dillon could come down a spot or two. But in your mind, you think he can come up a spot or two. So maybe he's in in just the right place. Uh, so I, I'm I'm happy how does Zach how does how does how does Zach Moss fit in, uh, for for the Bills fit into that? So we're talking about Antonio Gibson, Washington Redskins, AJ Dillon, Green Bay Packers, Josh Kelly, Chargers, Zach Moss, Buffalo Bills. I I, yeah, I don't consider I, Darrington I, Evans in that tier really in in Tennessee. Even though who knows? I mean, if they're trying to trying to keep a little bit of a tread off of Derrick Henry's tires, which I'm not sure that they not sure that they would be this year, but certainly, you know, he could be uh, what Deion Lewis was supposed to be plus last year. I mean, he's certainly a cer- cer- certainly an awesome player, but with Zach Moss, do you, uh, do you, are you worried at all about Devin Singletary? And do you think that Zach Moss is, I mean, I think Zach Moss was PFF's number one running back in this class. Yeah, so I had Gibson in a tier of his own, and then in the next tier I have Zach Moss and Josh Kelly in a tier together. And I have a preference for Moss there just because I think that is going to be a two-man show Mm -hmm. pretty much right out of the gate. And, you know, you talk about A.J. Dillon getting the goal line work. I think we can make a strong case that that's what Moss is going to walk into yeah, in Buffalo, and I instead of competing with 
a couple other running backs. I think it's just Singletary and Moss, whereas Green Bay, you could argue it's going to be two, three guys, and you definitely can't trust what LaFleur is going to do with that committee. And so, and then, you know, I think Singletary is, is too good for Moss to come in and get any kind of lion's share. But I do think he turned, he's, first of all, he's one of the turns in immediately one of the best handcuffs in the league, if not a standalone flex player. And then I think he does get that goal line appeal right off the bat. So I, I, I like Moss. And then, and then, uh, like you said, Kelly, just, he landed in just the right spot, man. I mean, we getting all the lip service, constantly from anthony lynn uh about how much he likes justin jackson but you know we also heard him say that tyrod taylor's not you know a bridge quarterback so you know we don't put a whole lot of stock into that (laughs) i do think there's a chance it can be a three-man rotation for a while in los angeles that could be tricky and may take a while to sort itself out and might might not ever sort itself out but you gotta like joshua kelly's chances there over time to get to get an opportunity and then i think to to show out pretty well once he does. Um, yeah. So that's, that's, that's kind of where I'm at. And then I, I had AJ Dillon more in that Darrington Evans tier you're talking about just as a complimentary player who could get a pretty good role right out of the gate. I'm just not entirely sure, but uh, you know, you make a good All case. Right. I mean, Dylan, I'm going to get it Dylan cleaned can... up. I'll get it cleaned up. I think, I think, I think, but you like Moss, at the top of that, at the top of that tier with 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 Kelly and those and those types, I think he's an important player at this point with a pretty clear situation. 